Cool. Well, it's good to be back with you again. Um, and it's great to be here among, among so many friends and we bless you and we, we pray for you and we appreciate what you do here greatly and we, we really believe in that God's going to do mighty things through this place. Um, I just want to share with you a couple of stories from my trip to Zimbabwe because I like telling stories um, and, and I really enjoy, I love telling people what God's done. And we had an amazing time in Zimbabwe. Um, really was amazing. The first, the first weekend was there. We went to the middle of nowhere. And it was so random. We were in the middle of nowhere. And we put a tent up to, as, to do a tent crusade. And we were in the middle of this tent with a table right in the middle of this tent. Eating our chicken and rice. Just in the middle of nowhere. It was one of the most randomest things I've ever seen in my life. But, but we went to this place. And this place was amazing. And they just started a church there. And then we went to visit someone called the Chief. And the chief is the chief of the area. So he is the, um, he's not political chief, but he's a well-respected figure in his community. And they invited us to go and meet the, the chief. And I was a bit nervous, if I'm being honest with you, because I've heard stories of going to see the chiefs and the kings of the area and having to eat things like monkey brains, fish eyes. And I was a bit nervous about going to this place. And I said to Pastor Alfred, the senior pastor, I said, is he going to make us eat? And he said, oh, I hope so. And I thought to myself, please, God, no. I tell you, I prayed so hard in that car journey there. But this man, this chief, had a stroke about six months ago and he was paralyzed and it hadn't got up a out of his chair for the, for the last six months. Bearing in mind, this is the chief of the area. If this miracle happened, it would have affected every single person in this area. As we, we, we prayed for him, and as we began to leave that, that morning, he got up out of his chair and walked for the first time in six months. It was amazing. We had an amazing time ministering in the, in the conference there. And then we got to the final few days, and we started this, this, this crusade. We call it crusade, just going out and doing preaching just like this telling people about Jesus in this place called Ifafa. And this was a new place where no one ever had been before. And um, we saw literally villages turning to Christ. I'm not exaggerating, but there was only five people in the village. But we still saw the, vill- saw the village turn to Christ. It was amazing. But on the second night and the final night of our trip there, there was a lady there who, who came. And um, the story goes, she broke a leg in... November. She had the cast took off in January and she was still walking with problems. She was walking like this. Okay. And um, we prayed for her and she got up and we, we asked for testimonies. Whenever we we pray for the sick. We always ask for testimonies. And this young boy came forward and said, oh, I've been healed. And he jumped up and down and he ran up and down. And it was great. We had a great time. And then this lady raised her hand and she said, I want to testify. So we took the microf- microphone over to her and she said, no, I'm not going to let you bring that microphone to me. I'm going to walk. And she walked up to give testimony and she walked totally healed in Jesus' name. Needless to say, everyone went crazy. It was amazing. Then her husband came forward and said, can I speak also? And we said, yeah. And he said to her, last night we wanted to come to the meeting, but we couldn't because of my wife's leg. So tonight I said, if you want to come, I will bring you in my wheelbarrow. And he brought her from their home in, a, in his wheelbarrow. And she, she got up and she came to the meeting and she walked home in Jesus' name. An even greater miracle happened that night. She gave her life. Her and her husband and a whole family came to Christ. It was amazing. We really believe in that God's doing something in Zimbabwe. And over the next four years, we're going to go and take in stadiums, take out cities, uh, and really go to, to do citywide crusades, to citywide campaigns, to tell whole cities about Jesus. And we really believe in that that's going to happen 
culminating in a big finale in 2020 in, in a place called Bulawayo, in the White City Stadium in Bulawayo. We're going to hire it out and preach the gospel and see the whole city come to Christ in Jesus' name. So please pray for us as we go. One of the themes that we preached on while we were out in Zimbabwe was freedom. Freedom in Christ. The Bible says, for it is freedom that Christ has set us free. And in Luke chapter 1, we read a prophecy from a guy called Zechariah, who was um, the, 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 the father of John the Baptist. And what happened was that the angel came to John the Baptist and said um, to Zechariah, he said, you're going to have a son. And he said, how can I have a son in my old age? And, and the angel said, because you haven't believed, what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. So the son was born and they motioned to the father and they said to Zechariah, what are you going to call him? And he said, his name's going to be John. And in that moment, his, uh, his mouth was opened. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, we read that Zechariah made this prophecy about Jesus. And this is what it says. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. When Zechariah was, was, was shared this prophecy, when he prophesied this, the times were very interesting. They were in a time where the Romans had occupied their land and they were looking for a, a deliverance. They were looking for a deliverer, a political deliverer to deliver the people of Israel, uh, the, deliver the people of Judea and Samaria from the hands of the Romans. They were looking for a political situation. And isn't it that? It's very similar to today, when today the big talk in the country is in or out. Have you seen that poster, by the way, around the corner there with the cakes? That's brilliant. I don't know which cake I prefer, but it all depends really what, whether one's chocolate or whether one's vanilla sponge. Um, it all depends on whether which one I'm going to choose by the cake. But um, it, 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 that's what it is. But here Zechariah prophesies that the salvation that Jesus offers goes beyond a political salvation. It's even better than that. And today, friends, I just want to share with you quickly that the, the salvation that we offer, the answer that we're going to look at today is not in or out. The answer to this world situations is Jesus. That is the answer. And Zechariah prophesied, and I want to talk about six things this morning that um, Zechariah prophesied. The first thing Zechariah prophesied about the salvation of Jesus Christ. The first thing is this. In verse 74, it says, That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. The first thing is freedom from fear. Did you know, do not be afraid appears 366 times in the Bible. That's once for every day of the year. 
and one left over if we are not in a leap year. But this year is a leap year, so do not fear appears 366 times, one for every single day of this year. Friends, God does not want us to be afraid. The enemy, Satan, he wants to intimidate, intimidate us and make us afraid. Make us afraid of all things like sharing our faith. You can't share your faith because you're not worthy or anything like this. But it's not true. God wants to give us freedom from that fear. God wants to give us freedom from the, the fear that the enemy brings. In Luke chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, we read three occasions where angels appear to people. The first time was Zechariah in Luke 1 verses 11 to 20. The second time was to Mary in, Ze- in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. And the third time was to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 to 14. And each time the angel says, do not be afraid or do not appear, do not fear. No wonder an angel just appears in, y- in your living room for for instance let's look at Mary Mary the Bible says that when she saw the angel she was troubled in spirit why well let's think of it for a second imagine you're at home in your in your nice little kitchen and you're cooking your cooking your food whatever you like to cook my preference would be bacon so if I ever come around your house please cook me bacon um and we go and, and you're cooking your bacon and you're there alone, you're waiting for people to come home and all of a sudden, in the dark, after a power cut, a big shining light appears and you think to yourself, the angel, the, 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 the power's back. In Zimbabwe, we went for 36 hours without electricity, which meant we couldn't have a shower. Trust me, I smelt. But um, we, we were there and, and, and imagine that the power's gone off in your, in your house. You're cooking your meal. You're having to use the gas stove. A light comes in, into the room and you think, yes, the power's back. And you turn around and then there's this big seven-foot angel standing before you going, hello. It'd be like, what? Of course you'd be scared. You'd be scared. You'd be petrified because it's an angel. No wonder Mary was troubled in spirit. In, in Luke chapter 1 verse 38... And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, the reason why Mary got rid of her fear, because she knew who she was. She knew who she was. She knew she was a servant of the living God. And friends, I want to suggest today, we don't need to live in fear of of anything because of who we are. And the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this. Normally I'd have them written out on my iPad, but I actually wrote this message on the plane, so I haven't had a chance to write this up. But there we go. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Friends, we are children of God. There's a, there's a song that um, my friend Dinger keeps singing and keeps playing on YouTube all the while, but it says this, I am no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Friends, today, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you are a child of God. You don't need to live enslaved to fear anymore because you are a child of God. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. In fact, I believe that the prosperity gospel is from hell. But what I do believe is that there is prosperity in the gospel. And I found a verse that I believe that is the fullness of prosperity in the gospel. And it's this. If our God is for us, who can be against us? And although that's a rhetorical question in the Bible, the answer is no one. (laughs) 
The answer is no one. We no longer need to live in, fe- in shame to fear or a slave to fear because we are children of God. And if you're here today and you're not a child of God, today I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ, have your sins forgiven, and become a child of God. So then we see Mary. She, she wasn't scared because she was a child of God, and we need to know who we are. And then we come to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, and they were in shock. Why? Well, again, let's think about it. In Zimbabwe, one of the things that we love to see is the stars. One of the reasons we can see the stars is because there's no light pollution. I'm telling you, it's one of the most amazing things that just see the, the, the arm of the Milky Way above your eyes. It's so beautiful. And you know what's really precious about it is the fact that we can't take a photograph of it unless you've got special cameras or something like that. And bog standard people like us, we can't get these special cameras. And so what's so special about it is that I can't waste my time taking pictures of it. I just have to take it in. And I believe that's one of the most special things. But just imagine for a second, you're with me in Zimbabwe. There's no light around. You can't even see the hand in front of your face. And you're sitting there and you're looking at the stars in the sky. And all of a sudden, bright shining lights appear in the sky. And all these angels appear. And you're thinking to yourself, ah, again, they're in fear. Why are they in fear? Well, one of the reasons is probably shock. They're in their, they're in their element just minding their, minding their flocks while shepherds watch their socks by night. They probably might have even been washing their socks, but they were there and, and they were doing their job. There was no light. There was no darkness. There was no electricity in the day. They probably couldn't see their hand from in front of their face. And then all of a sudden, the angels and the sky lights up with angels. They must have been shocked. And then they must have been fearful. Why? Because God is a holy God. And when he sends angels, it's for a reason. He sends them with a message. He doesn't come down, he doesn't send angels to just go, oh, we're going to have a nice time with the angels. He sends them with a message. And in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, we read the, the message that the angels sent. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Skip on to verse, next verse, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. What greater news to bring to that. That, that they're going to bring the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and they're enabled to, to tell people that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here on earth in the form of a baby. What an amazing message to tell people. But friends, it's your job now. God doesn't send the angels anymore because he's given the church, he's given us to tell people this exact message. See, Jesus brings peace. He brings peace. And it's quite ironic, really. I mean, there's times where Jesus said, I haven't come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. And here the angels say, peace on earth and goodwill to men because Jesus is here. So what is the peace that Jesus is talking about? I mean, you look around the world today and you look, if you're a Christian, you ain't going to get no peace because in some parts of the world, if you are a Christian, you're either going to get your head chopped off or tortured for it. That's not peace. But see, I believe that the peace that Jesus offers is not a physical peace, it's a spiritual peace. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's the peace that Jesus offers us. 
It's a peace. It's a spiritual peace. Not necessarily a physical peace. Although that does happen. It's a spiritual peace. And I can promise you, it's the most amazing peace you'll ever know. So Jesus came to bring freedom from fear. And secondly, he came to bring freedom to serve God. In in Luke chapter 1, verse 74, he says that. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says this. How much more then will the blood of Christ through who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that we may serve the living God. Friends, we are called to serve God. There is no task too high, there is no task too low that we are asked to do. I mean, let's look at this for instance. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was God in flesh, came down to this earth and he washed his disciples' feet. And back in those days, there was, there was lots of sand on the road. In fact, there, there still is a lot of sand when you go to Jerusalem. You get a lot of dust, and, and the feet would be filthy. And they would come in, and it would be the servant's job to wash the disciples, to, to wash people's feet, their master's feet. And here was Jesus, who was the master, serving his disciples by washing his feet. How much more are we supposed to do that? My friend Ben told me a story while we were in Africa and he said, and he said there's this guy who, who worked for NASA and this guy was there and his job was to sweep off after the engineers to put their tools away, to put everything back in, in, in right places and a man came up to him, the inspectors came in one day and they said to him, what is your job here? What do you do, do here? And he said, don't you know, we, I put people in space. And it's so true, think about it. If it wasn't for him sweeping the floors, the astronauts wouldn't have been able to get into the spaceship. He made that menial task of sweeping floors and putting things away. And it was because of that that the astronauts were enabled to do the job that they do. A few years ago, I went to, uh, I went to Warsaw in Poland, and we went to, um, d- uh, to a, a big meeting in a, in a big stadium there by a guy called Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, and he was doing this big, massive meeting, and we were privileged to be able to go as guests, and they had big, massive speakers there, and I thought to myself, if it wasn't for those people who don't stand on the platform, they don't do anything like that, and let's be honest, if something goes wrong with the sound, the first person you always look to is the person on the sound deck, it's always like... <sighs> What are you doing? And, um, but these people here, I thought to myself, how important is it that if they hadn't have been there working hard behind the scenes so that no one could see, no one would have been able to hear the message about Jesus. Friends, we are called to serve God. And one of the ways... An example of that is the Queen. I love the Queen. I think she's an amazing lady. I am a royalist. Um, if we do vote out, I'm saying let's keep the Queen in position. Uh, that's why I don't like Jeremy Corbyn, but I don't want to get political. Um, I love the Queen. And I, what I love is her political... Is, is not her, she stays out of politics, which is brilliant. What I love is her Christmas Day speeches because she preaches the gospel better than any of the bishops. In 10 minutes, she preaches the gospel, and I love it. But one of the ways that the Queen of England serves our country... She goes around the world and tells people how great England is. And to that I say, amen, if only the football team could realise. But she goes and tells people and promotes England. And and, and she serves our country, but in the same way we serve her. We do. One of the ways we do it is by paying our taxes to her. That's how we serve the Queen. And in the same way Jesus served us, we should serve him. And in the same way we can serve Jesus by giving our, our tithes to him. I believe in the biblical principle of tithes. What I mean by that is giving 10% of everything, your first 10% of everything you earn back to God. 
And I believe in that. Why? Because the Bible says when you do that, you're blessed. People come forward and ask us to pray for their financial situations, and I'm happy to do that. The first question I always ask them is this, are you tithing? They know, nine times out of ten, the people who came, come forward with financial prob- problems, and I ask that question, the answer is no. But people say to me, I can't afford to tithe. Friends, my reply to that is I cannot afford not to tithe. Why? Because when I'm putting that tithe, that 10% in the offering, when I'm giving that 10% back to God, I'm not only saying, here here God, use this money. Essentially, that's what I'm saying. But I'm also saying, God, I trust in your promises to provide for me. I don't want to go into that into great detail, but that's just a few thoughts. Another way we can serve God is by serving other people. A man came to Jesus and said to him, "Um, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to him, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, Jesus was saying, one of the ways in which we can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul is by serving other people. Again, that's for another message. So, so, Zechariah prophesied that it's freedom from fear, freedom to serve God, and thirdly, freedom to be holy. We are called to be holy people. The Bible says, be holy, therefore, as I am holy. This is what he says. This is what Jesus, God is saying to us, to be holy people. And it's a hard job. Trust me, it's really hard. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, and I know... People from a particular church, the Brethren Movement there, always asked the first verse that they're told to memorize is this verse. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We are called to live holy lives, but we will mess up. Why? Because living a holy life is one of the hardest things we will ever do in our life. It's so hard. But God says, live it. Why? Because it's the best way to live. Honestly, there is no one here today who can say that they live a perfect holy life. Because we're all broken people. We're all messed up. And there's no shame in that. And I'm going to tell you one of the reasons why we messed up in a moment. But we're called to live holy people. And I believe that God loves it when we try our best to, to live a holy life. That doesn't gain us salvation. That doesn't get us through the doors of heaven but it does mean that we're truly committed to following God. And there's so many different aspects of holy life that we can talk about. I'm going to talk about one, and that's our language. I, remember, I have a friend, and he's called Aaron, and um, he was a drug addict. And he, he, he gave his life to Christ, and he got instantly healed, and instantly the desire for drugs were taken away, just like that, in Jesus' name. And he came, and I remember he says to me, you know what, the fact that I quit drug, drugs didn't even bother me. The most important thing, that the second I gave my life to Christ, I stopped swearing. That was the most, he said, I don't get it. I stopped swearing. And that's what the salvation of Jesus offers us today. Freedom to be holy. And then freedom to live righteous. One of these words that are in the Bible and we see them appear in the Bible, it's like righteousness. It's like, oh, what's that? Well, the dictionary says righteousness is a behavior that is morally justifiable or right. The Bible's standard of human righteousness is God's own perfection in every attribute, attitude and behavior. And every word. See, God is righteous. He is perfect and sinless. He has never done anything wrong. And the bad news is that true and perfect righteousness is not possible for man to attain on its own. The standard is simply too high. 
one of the ladies that has really influenced my life is a lady called Mother Teresa. I think she is one of the most amazing people to ever walk this earth. She was tiny, she was insignificant, but she was so powerful. And the effect that she had on people just affected the whole world. I've got a friend from Macedonia, and he travels over to India. Now, people in India, if you're a Christian, you can be persecuted for that. But he goes there, and he says, I'm from Macedonia. And people just welcome him with open arms, and they say to him, tell us about Jesus. Why? All because of Mother Teresa. She was an amazing, amazing lady. She was just incredible. Some of the things that she did, I recommend that you go on the internet and you look up some of the things that she she did. An incredible, incredible lady. But even she, in everything she did, she was not righteous. She was not perfect because the standard that God sets for us was even too high for even that lady. But the Bible says this, that God sent Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness, so that we can one day stand before God, and he will not see not our sin, but the righteousness that Jesus has covered us from. And the fifth thing I want to mention today is, of course, freedom from sin. You might ask yourself, what's, what is sin? Sin is really simple. Sin is missing God's perfect mark. My friend and I, Ben, we go out on the streets of Dudley every Monday, and we go and pray for the sick there, and we've seen amazing things happen in Dudley Town Centre, and just going out to teach, that, to, to go and just pray for the sick, and if you're interested in doing anything like that, please speak to me. I'd lo- we'd love to be able to take you, take you with us, and we'll see people be healed, and we're seeing people healed. And we'd love to be able to teach you and train you how to do that. If you're interested, come and see me after. But, but one of the things that we really do, the main ambition of what we do is this, to tell people about Jesus. We just put it in a dress of praying for the sick. We don't wear dresses, just to clarify. Um, but that's what we do. We just go and pray for the sick and do that with, by telling people about Jesus. And you know, one of the things that we say to them is, do you understand what sin is? And a nine times out of ten, in fact, every single person says, no, what is sin? So we say this, let's look at the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is do not lie. Every single person I've spoke to on the streets in Dudley have said, I've told a lie. Okay, great. One of the Ten Commandments is do not steal. And some of them say, well, mm, I'm not sure about that. Even if it's a one penny sweet, and they say, oh, okay then. Uh, have you watched anything online that you should have paid for, but you haven't? Okay, so that's stealing. Okay, okay, so we dealt with that one. The next thing we say, one of the Ten Commandments is blasphemy. You all know what blasphemy is. And they, and they say, well, what's blasphemy? And when we explain, it's saying the Lord's name in vain. It's saying something like, oh, my God, in the, in the wrong t- context. And you can actually say that in the right context. Um, it, and th- and th- that's blasphemy. And they say, oh, well, we've committed that one. And then we say, well, one of the Ten Commandments is adultery. Uh, and, and they say, oh, what's adultery? And we explain what adultery is. But then we say, Jesus w- took it one step further. He said that if you even look at someone with lust in your eyes, then that means you've committed adultery in your heart. And they go, well, we've done that. I said, of course you have. I said, by your own admission, then you're a lying, thieving blasphemer with an adulterous heart. And they're like, oh, okay. And the Bible says that's sin. The Bible says that missing God's mark, which is the law of God, which is obeying the Ten Commandments properly, is, is sin. But the Bible goes one step further. It says, if you've even broken one of them, you've broken all of God's law. 
And friends, the Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us here today have done disobedience to God's law. We have all fallen short of God's standard. It doesn't matter how far short we have fallen. The fact of the matter is we have fallen short. A few years ago when the Olympics in 2012, I was actually in Poland at the time when England won those three gold medals in one hour. Do you remember that? I was in Poland. It was so annoying because the Polish were there and we played the Polish in volleyball and the Polish beat us. So they kept coming to me going, ha ha, you lost, you lost. And then the next day I saw we won five gold medals in one day and I was like, well, mm. and uh, we actually won more gold medals in that one day than they did in the whole Olympics. So it was like, ha, loser. And, um, but one of those gold medals was in the long jump and Greg Rutherford in this really complicated sport that literally all you have to do is run and jump. Apparently, it's really complicated. Um, he, he jumped a certain distance. It was eight-something meters. And he jumped the furthest. It didn't matter where the second place jumped, one millimeter short of what Greg Rutherford had, had set. The fact of the matter is he would have fallen short of Greg Rutherford's standard. Friends, it doesn't matter how far short we have fallen of God's standard. It doesn't matter how many commandments we have broken. The fact of the matter is we have all fallen short of God's standard and we've all disobeyed his law. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The punishment that we deserve for our sin is death. The Bible talks about a place called hell. In fact, only Jesus talks about a place called hell. And I don't really like talking about hell, but friends, that's just the true consequence for our sin. The Bible says that our punishment is death. But I love this, I love the one word that appears here. Romans 6 and verse 23. Can we have it up on the screen? Because I love this verse so much. For the wages of sin is death. And then there's a word that appears right here. It's one of the best words in the Bible. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, when Jesus went to the cross, he took the punishment for your sin and he took the punishment for my sin. See, there was two people who died either side of Jesus that day. One was a robber. Both of them were robbers. They were meant to be on that cross. But that cross in the middle was not meant for Jesus. That cross was meant for a guy called Barabbas. And what happened was that one day they brought Barabbas before the crowd and they said to him, here is Jesus, your king, here is Barabbas, this thief, this murderer, this adulterer, this, this liar, this one who's broken all of your ten commandments. Who do you want us to release to you? And they said, release to us Barabbas. See, Barabbas represents us. He should have died in that place just like we should have died. But instead, Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment for your sin. When he died on the cross for you, he suffered that agony, he suffered that pain, he suffered that terror, just because he loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And friends, this morning we're going to give you an opportunity to have your sins forgiven and come to Christ. But first, there's something else I want to tell you, because... The, the final thing about freedom I want to mention tonight is freedom from death. See, Jesus was died. They put him in a tomb. And I've been to that tomb. I can take you to Israel. We'll, if you come with us to Israel, cheeky little plug there. If you come with us to Israel, you can go and we'll take you to different tombs. We'll take you to David's tomb. If you've got time off, we can even go to Hebron if, if you want to risk your life. We can go to Hebron and we can go to Abraham's tomb, to Isaac's tomb, to Jacob's tomb. I can take you to Rachel's tomb. I can take you to all these tombs. And inside, if you took away the, the graves, you would see bones in there. Friends, I can take you to Jesus's tomb. And here's the good news. There is nobody in there because Jesus is alive. In fact, on the door of Jesus's tomb, it says this, he is not here anymore he has risen 
and the resurrection, which we celebrated a few weeks ago, was the, the final seal on God's mission on this earth. Friends, Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. That's why we see all these amazing things happen. That's why we see people healed in Africa. That's why we see people healed in Dudley Town Centre. That's why we can see people healed today. That's why we see these amazing things happen because Jesus is alive. In John chapter 11, in verse 25 and 26, it says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And one of the things I love about that scripture is that Jesus went to a guy called Lazarus and Lazarus had died and they wanted him to raise Lazarus from the dead. Before he even rose Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he said, I can raise this person from the dead. Do you believe this? I just love that. And you know, I love this other thing about Lazarus' death. Have you noticed that when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Have you noticed that? It's one of those little throwaway lines in the Bible that we just think, whoa, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. But look at it really carefully. In the day of the time, in the, in the day of the time, in the time where, where that happened, there was lots of tombs. There would have been lots of tombs, lots of dead people in these tombs. And I love the fact that Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he, if he had said, come forth, every single dead person in that place would have rose from the dead. I love it. He had to call Lazarus to come forth. But tonight, friends, he's calling you to come. Tonight, this morning, he's calling you to come forth. And this is the picture of heaven that he gives. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Jesus said, I am going into heaven to prepare a place for you. And so this morning, what we want to do is give you an opportunity to turn Christ. Don't, don't, don't worry, I'm going to stop in a minute. Um, just going to do this. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We want to pray together. And if you're here today, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you've committed wrong. And today you want to have your sins forgiven and give your life to Christ. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray it line by line every day I've said this, I've said, you're going to hear it in your own language, but you, you are hearing it in your own language. I have to speak through an interpreter, but you're going to hear it. I'm going to give a short pause. And if you're here today, and you know that you're a sinner, and you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, I urge you to pray this prayer with me today. If there's no one, it's okay. But I won't want to preach this message without giving the opportunity to do this. So I'm going to give everyone, I'm going to, what we're going to do in this prayer is, first we're going to admit that we're sinners. We're going to believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Then we're going to ask him to forgive us from our sin and confess him as Lord and Savior of my life. So what I'm going to do right now is ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And if there's anyone in here today who wants to say this prayer, you don't have to say it out loud, you can repeat in your heart. Just say this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've done wrong in your eyes. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask you now to forgive me from my sin. I choose to follow you today. 
while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, if you said that prayer for the first time tonight, I'd just like to pray for you and so that I know who I'm praying for, I'm just going to ask, if you said that prayer for the first time today, would you just raise your hand nice and high so I can see it? No one's watching you. Don't be embarrassed. If there's no one, yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. I'd just like to pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you for these people who have given their lives to Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you love them. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for them. In fact, I thank you, Jesus, that you love us all so much that, that, that you died for each and every single one of us. And I ask you now that you, you just hold them and keep them. God, encourage and bless the church into keep, keeping them and in discipling them. And Father God, I pray that they will go with you in Jesus' name. Amen.